You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Turn with me to Ezra chapter 1. This is where we'll be. To find Ezra, you have to go to the beginning of Psalms. If you open your Bible to about the middle, you'll find the Psalms. Then flip back from Job through Esther through Nehemiah, and you'll get to Ezra. We're going to be in the first chapter again. Um, We've chosen to study Ezra this summer, and I am stunned at how relevant this story is for us right now. And so I want to title today's message, Counted and Settled. Counted and settled. So if you get to the first, uh, if you, if you, the best way to engage the messages with your Bible, something to write on. And if you want, you can write at the top of chapter two, counted and settled. Make that your heading for that chapter. Last week, we looked at just the first four verses of the whole book of Ezra. And we got ourselves grounded in the plot line. Ezra starts in the middle of a story that's already in progress but it assumes we know things like that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem and he burned the temple and he stole all the valuables off the altar. Remember that. And then he sent the Israelites into exile in Babylon where they have been now for 70 years. 70 years later, Cyrus is now the king of Persia as we begin this book and he's decided to invite the people of Israel back to their homeland to rebuild the temple to their God. So let's start today with uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Ezra chapter 1, verse 5. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved. If you've got your Bible, I want you to underline that phrase. Everyone whose heart God had moved. Prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in, in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out of the articles belonging brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Myth Mithridath, I cannot get that one right the first try. Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, prince of Judah. This was the inventory. And then they list this expansive collection of things. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver. Sheshbazar brought all these along with the exiles when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. And then I want you just to flip over. When you get to chapter 2... There's a whole bunch of people listed. Flip over to the other side of that to verse 68. And I want you to hear. So all these people, that they are listed here. Now they're all in uh, in Jerusalem. And it says, when they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. I want you to remember that. They gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God and its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. So they gave a lot. And this sounds familiar. 
Do you remember, maybe, how the Israelites left their, when, when, when the Israelites left Egypt after the first exile, um, they left silver, they, they left Egypt with the silver of the Egyptians clanking in their cloaks. That's the way it was put. It was clanking beneath their cloaks. And the stuff the Israelites brought with them out of that first exile was the stuff they used to build the tabernacle out in the desert. And just like in Exodus, when that happened before, the story in Exodus, excuse me, the story in Ezra tells us that this temple would be built on the offerings of everyone whose heart God had moved according to their ability. <laughs> that's how the church of Jesus Christ, that's how the temple of the Lord gets built. How does it get built? It gets built on the hearts of those God has moved. It gets built by every person who gives out of their free will offerings according to their ability. That's how the, 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 the temple of God, the church of God is built. It's a beautiful way of celebrating God's constant invitational grace over our lives. When it says that everyone whose heart God had moved. So God moves the heart. It's an invitational uh, kind of draw that he gives us. This is how God works. When God's given room to, to work his best, we're invited to invest everything we've brought with us out of exile into the house and for the glory of God. So, so listen to me. God will use the stuff you brought with you out of exile to build his church. Praise God. So nothing wasted. He uses our weaknesses. He uses our stories of pain and darkness and our hard times as spiritual currency because it may be that nobody has the, has the, um, is more qualified than you are to talk about a divorce that you never wanted to happen or to talk about what it means to live with disability or to be incarcerated or addicted or, or, or depressed or anxious, if you have received that glorious kind of healing or that glorious release from shame and guilt, then that is yours as a gift you give to build the body of Christ. That's how God does it. When he brings his people up out of exile, he, he redeems everything they bring with them. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. And he turns it into an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. Which is to say that even when you were at your worst or your lowest, God was already at work. Redeeming, reclaiming, restoring. He doesn't force us into his will or force us into his plans. But God is the, the hound of heaven who constantly invites us to join him where he's already working to build his kingdom on earth. So... If you're in the back and you didn't come forward at all this morning, um, you may not see what's up here um, in the floor, but you'll have a chance to come forward in a, just a little while. Um, we're using the story of Ezra to rebuild our own kind of interior altar toward God. And as a visual aid of that, we're also rebuilding our altar here in this room. So um, our altar table was a free will offering. It was made by Mark Freitag. And on the inside, before Mark ever built the altar, he brought the pieces of wood here in, into the church one Sunday, and lots of people had the chance 
to write their favorite Bible passage um, into the inside of that altar. And so it's very personal. And so we've kind of laid the altar where its insides are exposed this morning so that at the end of this service, when we have an invitation, if, if you didn't get a chance to write a verse before, you can write a verse today. Or you can just write your name. If you'd just like to know that you are represented in the altar that stands in this house. You're part of our family altar. The cushions that are kind of on either side, they sort of stand, and in the Old Testament, these would have been stones. In the New Testament, they're, they're, they're cushions. They're, they're there. They're, um, starting next week, they will, they will line the front of the stage and give us an, a more intentional place for prayer. These altar cushions were handcrafted by Linda Moore. And every pillow, every single pillow was sponsored. In fact, everything that we add to the altar this summer was sponsored by someone in this house specifically for this purpose. The gifts of the people whose heart God has moved. Some were given in honor or memory of people we have known and loved. One of these pillows was given in memory of Steve Cutcliffe. Another pillow was given in memory of Jean Carr. Each week, we will build into our altar other pieces that are important for the worship of God to express the foundation of our faith, new communion cups and a new, a new Bible. And, um, and, and a f oh, I've got one. I'll just wait. You have to. Oh, it's going to be so exciting. <laughs> this is a great week to begin again, isn't it? For us as a church and for you personally. And so we'll start by rebuilding our altar. I want you to look at chapter 2 of Ezra. Just the first two verses. Now, these are the people of the provinces who came up from the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to their own town, in company with Zerubbabel, that's the first name, I want you to remember that, so with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reeliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rehum, and Baanah. So, and then there's this whole list of names. You can see if you've got your Bible open, there's a whole bunch of people who came with those original 12 and, um, and, and it's interesting, it starts with lay people, and then it moves to Levites, and then finally to priests, which is the right order of things. It starts where you are. <laughs> and then some have been pulled out, some musicians and, um, and others who are, who are meant to serve the house of God, and then it ends with the priests. So the, the whole rest of the chapter is this list of lots and lots of people, 42,760 according to Ezra, which is really funny. The math doesn't exactly add up, and this list doesn't square with the same list in, in Nehemiah, which I so appreciate having had to be to, to call our membership lists and figure out who's here and who's not. I love that their list is not perfect. Evidently, has always been like herding cats with God's people. Mostly Ezra just wants us to know that a lot of people were ready to go home and reclaim their place, rebuild their altar, restore their vision. And Zerubbabel, remember, he's the first name on the list. And listen, 
Zerubbabel connects this group of people who are coming back to rebuild the altar now. He, he connects that group of people with David and Solomon because he is in that lineage. And he also connects that group of people going home to rebuild their temple with their Messiah because he's in that lineage. They are rebuilding the temple that Jesus will serve. I mean, hundreds of years before he ever gets on the scene, they are already, can you imagine building an altar that Jesus will stand before? Now bring that forward and ask yourself, can you imagine that we might be building an altar this summer that generations will serve? Generations after us. So put a finger in Ezra chapter 2. Just put a finger there and go to the very first page of Matthew. That's the first page of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 11, verses 6 through, excuse me, Matthew chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. That's, that's the genealogy in Matthew that takes us through the generations that lived in Babylon, that Nebuchadnezzar put into Babylon, into exile in Babylon. And then in verse 12, we get the shift when they come back to Jerusalem. Matthew takes us through the generations that, then that, that lived after the, Babylon, uh, the exile in Babylon. And in verse 12, you see, after the exile in Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. And then it tells who Zerubbabel was the father of, was the father of, was the father of. So this is the same Zerubbabel who led the Israelites back to Jerusalem to rebuild, whose story connected the people of Israel to the house and lineage of David and to the body of Christ. So when a Jewish person reads this list of people in Ezra chapter 2, they're reading their family story. And when we read that same list in Ezra chapter 2, we are reading our family story. Because we're when we're reminded that our Savior was a human being born into our humanity for the sake of identifying with us on every level, coming to us right where we are, who knows our weaknesses, he took skin on <laughs> So he could understand what it means to be tempted the way we've been tempted. Who comes from a long line of people who have known exile and redemption. Every lineage and list in the Bible reminds us that the story of God is written on the lives of its people. Real people who built the temple hundreds of years before their Messiah would show up to stand in it and point their descendants to the kingdom of God. So now it's your turn. You are in that same spiritual line. You've been grafted in. Your part is to carry our story forward. Our spiritual threads run through generations of people who found Jesus and who eventually went out to serve him in the world. And now our faith is intertwined with theirs and with the folks sitting around you right now who also believe and with those who will come next which is to say that your faith is not yours to do with as you please. It is yours to share. So you got this long list of people who came. 
And then in verse 70, we've read 68 and 69. Then in verse 70, last verse in chapter 2, look at, listen to this. The priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants settled. I want you to circle that word settled. It actually comes up twice in this verse. Settled in their own towns. Along with some of the other people and the rest of the Israelites settled in their towns. I want you to underline that little that little uh, phrase too, along with some of the other people. The section ends with a word that I want to explore a little. It's that word settled. They settled in their own towns. The writer says it twice, and I'm sure it's just there to let us know that the people found a spot and they pitched their tent and they weren't going to go back to Babylon. But when I, read this, when, I, when I read this paragraph a few weeks ago, i got to tell you, that word just kind of jumped off the page at me, that word settled. And I think something's there for us. I think it's prophetic, so I want to go digging around the word a little bit. In the he, when, you, when you look at the Hebrew sense of this, this word settled, we, that, you know, that we translate as settled, the Hebrew is kind of stunning. To be settled is, listen to this, to place in a fixed or permanent condition... To make firm, steady, or stable. To establish. Listen to this. To cause to be no longer in a disturbed condition. Wow. To render quiet. To still. To calm. To compose. To rest. Another source defines the Hebrew sense of settled in this way. To put an end to a rough season. So settling in the Hebrew sense of it is not settling for plan B or second best. It's learning how to bloom where you're planted. I'm remembering another place where this shows up. Settle, this word settle, it's in Jeremiah chapter 29. I mean, like my brain immediately went there to Jeremiah 20, 20, uh, 29. The, the famous passage in Jeremiah 29 is Jeremiah 29, 11. Who can say it? Can anybody in here say it? Yeah, that's it. Thank you. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future with hope. We all know that line because we want it to be true of us personally. Who doesn't want to know that God has a plan for me, that God isn't here to harm me, or, or even when I'm struggling to know that he's, he's doing something in my life, even if I can't see it. He has a future with a hope. This is not my last good day. Who doesn't want to know when there's nothing but clouds out the window that I can still fly by the panel and the, and, the, and the voice and the control tower and that there is a hope. It's going to be okay. Who doesn't want to know it's all going to be okay? <laughs> of course, that's, that's why. That's why we have T-shirts and mugs and, and um, painted wood wall hangings with that verse on them because we all want to believe that God is saying this directly to us. And of course, God does have good plans for us. But that doesn't make this passage in Jeremiah 29 about us. When Jeremiah the prophet speaks this word to the people of God, he is giving exiled people who were living in Babylon. In other words, Jeremiah is speaking in Jeremiah 29 to people who were in Babylon before Ezra brought them back to Jerusalem. 
He is speaking to Ezra exiled people living in Babylon, the same people whose names we know, who are listed here in Ezra chapter 2, who still had decades to go before they would finally be standing again in Jerusalem. He is giving those people hope enough to wait for Cyrus to become king and for a pagan king to make them an unlikely offer to go home, take your stuff with you, rebuild your offer, uh, your altar. We want to ignore that little detail about having to wait to get to God's good plan. Plans to prosper you, a hope and a future, absolutely it's possible, but it does not arrive poof out of thin air. <laughs> to get there, we have to go through Jeremiah 29 verses 4 through 7 first. Where God says to the exiles, while they're still in Babylon, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That is a compelling vision for people still in exile. Build. Plant, marry, increase, seek peace, settle down. In other words, bloom where you're planted. Bear fruit from the seeds that have been sown into your life, through your family, through your circumstances, through your own spiritual formation. Use everything that has been sown in you to build, settle, plant, increase, Trusting that, yes, God does have a plan for your life, a plan to redeem all that you bring with you, that God will redeem all of it when you come back to the altar. Learning how to settle in exile. Learn how to settle in exile so that when you go home, you have already mastered that art. Learn how to settle in exile so that when you go home, you've already mastered the art. Paul says it to the Philippians in his letter to them. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I have learned how to settle down. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, whether in exile or back home, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And the prophetic word I believe God has for us this morning is that one little word in Ezra, settle. It's an invitation not to settle for second best, but to settle our spirits. To settle into the work of being the church. We've had enough upheaval. We've had enough questions, we've had enough debate, we've had enough. And now, thanks be to God, we have been given an unlikely invitation to settle down, to look toward our future, to invest in that future, and, and, and to do it with hope. 
to rebuild, to restore, build, settle, increase, seek peace, settle down, (laughs) find our mission together. If we do this, if we will bloom where we're planted, if we will allow ourselves to a a future-focused vision, if we will develop a vision for what can be and invest ourselves in the mission of God, we will flourish. Come on, y'all. We will bring out the best in each other, and we will catch a glimpse of what God sees. I want you to look at chapter 2, verse 70 one more time. The priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants settled in their own towns, along with some of the other people, (laughs) along with some of the other people, and, and the rest of the Israelites. They all settled into their towns. There's another phrase, that other phrase in that scene. I don't want to miss it. It gets me. Along with some of the other people and the rest of the Israelites. Do you hear it? I mean, there's the official list. But then there are these other people. The ones we've been given to settle with. That's the messy part of community. We don't get to settle in a vacuum. We settle with people who belong to our tribe and people who don't. We settle with people we like and people we don't like. Don't make eye contact with anybody right now. We settle with people who agree with us and people who don't. This kind of settling, biblical settling, is not about compromise. Hear that. Biblical settling is not unholy compromise. It is a trust. It is a choice to trust God in any circumstance. So find your internal rest right here, right now, in the place you've been planted. I've learned how to be content in any circumstance, Paul said. Because it's only when we've learned how to settle that we can minister to others in the same way that the Prince of Peace ministers to us. Somebody somewhere taught me this about shepherds and sheep. On a big farm with lots of sheep, it's just going to happen that some of the ewes, the girl sheep, will die in childbirth. It just happens. And some of the little lambs will die when they're born. So you'd think you could just place the orphaned lambs with the mothers who have lost Babies, but it's not that simple. A new mother will recognize the scent of a lamb that isn't hers, and she will reject it. She won't take care of it. So sheep farmers have learned how to deal with that. They, they will skin the dead lamb and clothe the little orphan lamb with that skin. The farmer puts that skin on the little lamb just like a coat, and then he takes the little orphan lamb to the mama whose baby just died, And when she sniffs the orphan lamb and smells the fleece of her own, she accepts it and she begins to care for it just like it's her own. She settles in. And Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for you have been clothed in my righteousness. I have covered you with my sacrifice and you have my scent. So your father, 
who has laid before you a kingdom beyond this one, who has given you a future in which to place your hope even while you're in exile. He will come and he will call you and he will accept you and receive you into that kingdom and he will care for you because, this is Jesus talking, you smell like me. So go ahead, Jesus says. This is Luke 12. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Give freely of yourself. Take everything you found in exile and invest it into the kingdom of God because your treasure is not here. It's in heaven. Provide a covering for yourself that will not wear out, a scent that heaven accepts where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So Jesus, Jesus, my prayer this morning, from a place of deep, of my own deep peace, is this. Settle us. Settle us, Jesus. And settle down, Lord, and on the altar of our hearts. As I'm praying this prayer, I just see almost like those Russian nestled dolls. My spirit settles, and Jesus settles in me, and I settle into the work of ministry. All of that, just one nested inside the other, is what Jesus is after. Build your altar, Lord, in me and build it in this church. Clothe me in your righteousness and clothe us in your righteousness, Jesus. And I pray, I pray over this altar, Lord, that as you refresh this altar and as you add to it this morning, that you would, Lord, Consecrate it again for your purposes. And Lord, I pray over these altar cushions that you would consecrate them for your purpose. That they would be signs, symbols for us of your presence and your desire to meet us here in this place, to receive. Bless them, Jesus. Bless them. So I want to ask you to stand now. We're going to worship God together. And here's the invitation. And I, I, I want to invite you to be bold and courageous this morning. The invitation for those of you who weren't here a few years ago when this altar was built is to come and add your, add your name or add a verse to this altar. There's some pens down here. Just don't crawl up in it. I don't know how much it's going to take in terms of people inside of it, but... But, but, but get close enough to be able to write into this altar your verse, your prayer, your name, whatever helps you to feel like you are part of us. And then I also want to invite you as, 
if you're at a place this morning where you would like to receive, these altar cushions are here for you. Next week, they'll be all lined up, and it'll be neat. But for today, they're just, they're here. Like, like in, the, in the Old Testament, when they were building an altar, they would take stones and pile them on top of each other. Um, so that's sort of what these are like today. But you have the chance to just take one, take it someplace, kneel on it, and receive from the Lord today. Settle your spirit here. Begin to build your own personal altar. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.